John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 182.PS4303, certificate number 6374, Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. So, I've decided to turn my half of the omnibus into basically a lighthouse-based podcast. You have, uh, and lighthouses are a big part of your, of your life and your mystique, mm-hmm. your, your mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't you want to live in a, some kind of a, a fanciful lighthouse? I do. I want to live in an eight-sided lighthouse made of dreams. What would be the downside if it had seven or nine sides? Uh, it wouldn't be, wait a minute. Oh, it was a seven-sided lighthouse made of dreams. I've, I've added an extra side. Oh, no, you, it, you've it, added on. It was always going to be seven-sided. Uh, that's part of how you build a lighthouse out of dreams. It does seem more it mystical if it's an odd number, like yeah. all the like all the uh, uh, what organ energies in the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's occult geometries are probably a result of it having an odd number of sides. It's based on the Kabbalah, for sure. Um, so I do like to do I do like to do lighthouses, and by <clears throat> by like to do lighthouses, I mean that I've done one other show on them. And, you know, I mentioned... I thought you meant, like, in the sense of, like, visiting a lighthouse. Like, I want to do farmer's markets, or yeah. I, want to, I want to do antique stores. You want to do lighthouses. It has occurred to me that touring the lighthouses of the world would be one of those sort of justifying missions. You know, you kind of want to, in your travels... I don't know, how much traveling did you do that was just sort of free form? Not much, right? You always had a mission. No. You were either on a literal mission or you were <laughs> part of a... My mission is generally, yes, c- uh, conversion. Conversion, right? Religious conversion. When but, I go on a trip, that's what I'm about. But then I'll, there's, there's uh, you do a lot of speaking tours and stuff, but even when you go on vacation, you usually have a uh, a mission. It's pretty, yeah, it's regimented. Yeah. We're going to see Glacier National Park, kids, whether you like it or not. But I've I've done a lot of traveling that's sort of like head west and see what happens. You know, it, it's it, and that that means that the traveling is often determined by who who I meet in a truck stop right. bathroom, um, and and that what you find might be yourself. That's when, right. When you think about it, turns out turns out the call is coming from inside the house. But that over over the years became kind of I don't know. It just didn't have enough shape. You end up feeling aimless. You end up feeling like, why am I traveling? It's a lot easier to stay in one place. And so lately I've been looking for reasons to travel. When you travel for work, it's great because you have a reason to be there. It's almost like you're a local. You can but, pretend you, you're not, you know, you can pretend the trip is just part of the, I don't know. It just gives you a justification for it. You yeah. Know, like, like uh, I'm not in Vienna like the rest of you tourists. I'm here to play a rock show and then I have to go. So so yeah, you feel you feel legitimized. You feel like you've accomplished something with, you know, for business, it's almost never worth the, the plane flight. I mean, yeah, you're, right. You're there for, you yeah. might be there for six hours, six hours, and you go to one meeting, and you think, well, boy, I sure have accomplished something because of all that travel. Well, you feel like you've accomplished it when you accomplish something when they send the check. But yeah, to go through a to go on a tour of all the lighthouses of the world, you know, the top top lighthouses now, um, and by top I mean the tallest. There's one in France. There's one in Italy. The tallest lighthouse is in France? Yeah, there's another. Oh, interesting. Um, 
Lighthouses I mean, are pretty good destinations. Lighthouses are great. They're always it would require that you do additional travel. You can't just fly to an airport True. and and then take a bus to a lighthouse. The lighthouse is often very far from the airport. Yeah, you have to get well almost yeah by definition. There is a, there's usually a lighthouse at the airport, a beacon of some kind. But what that's you, not where you, ships are. You don't want to fly around seeing air traffic control towers. No, it's l- l- less exciting because lighthouses are are. Are architectural marvels. But they're also built in beautiful spots. Beautiful spots. Like even the dumbest uh, lighthouse, most utilitarian or smallest or whatever, is probably on just a gorgeous piece of coastline. Yeah, somewhere on the ragged edge of the world, right? Um, they're the fourth tallest lighthouses in, in Russia, in St. Petersburg. Oh, wow. You've got uh, some Chinese lighthouses. Um, let's see, how far down do you have to go? Oh, there's one in Argentina that would be fun to visit. A Dutch lighthouse. So anyway, um, man has always dreamed of visiting lighthouses. Fully one seventh of the wonders of the ancient world were, were lighthouses. lighthouses. That's, right. that's as many as were pyramids when you <laughs> when you when you think about it. Sure, uh, that's pretty good representation. I, you know, I'm gonna yeah, and the and the wonderful thing about visiting the tallest lighthouses of the world is like eight of them are in France. So all you have to do is go to France and you can knock them off. Why is France building such tall lighthouses? What period are they from? Like, are these 20th century lighthouses? No, a lot of them are, you know, the, there's there's the uh, Codouin Lighthouse, uh, which was built in 1611. A lot 1611? Of, yeah. Well, you know, like you say, lighthouses were a feature of the ancient world, um, and they were they were bad lighthouses, as we discussed in the Fresnel Lens episode, which we will refer to many times in this episode. Like, what do you mean they were bad? They were just like lit occasionally? Like well, if the guy remembered? No, I mean, they were lit with whale oil and yeah. the lenses were just some, you know, originally no lens at all. And then... Just a guy with a fire. That's yeah, why it right. wasn't Alexandria. A fire on the top of a of a, of a big stone uh, tower that couldn't survive an earthquake or even a, even a big storm. This is a little broader, but I do believe in this um, idea of having some kind of list for the traveler yeah. because it really does make you feel like, um, I mean, if you want to feel like you're aimless, that's its own fun thing, but often travelers just want to feel like they've accomplished something. And there's a whole class of people out there that do that by deciding they are going to see every UNESCO world heritage site. Sure, that, that, would, that guy, would be a hard one. Uh, that guy that went around to every Starbucks in America, yeah. it's a never ending quest, right? For a while, they were building Starbucks faster than he was visiting them. So he was watching it recede. But then luckily, the economy collapsed. And then he, I think he was able to accomplish it. He did. Journey. He finally got to all of them. Now, yeah. now, when they build one, he can just go over a weekend. He, to count it, he had to have a drink at all of them. Yeah, sure. So he's, he's dead now. <laughs> well, those, those street corners in Manhattan where there used to be four Starbucks, one on every corner. He loves that. That's, yeah, that's, that's perfect for him. Uh, we just drove, my family and I just drove uh, halfway across the country. And, and, you know, coming from Seattle, halfway across the country means two-thirds of the way across the country. Because you think of because we're bad at fractions. Well, but you think of of Ohio as being the middle right. middle west, but it's no, it's quite a bit further. We had to cross the big states to get there. Yeah, other people would have just had to cross the little cross states. The little to get states. To Ohio. They're like, I'm halfway across. No, you're not. But we drove to Ohio via the uh, via, via the northern states, and then came back via the southern states. It's the so controversy. In uh, that in, in at the end of the trip, we crossed 21 states, and. I was driving with my mother, my sister, my daughter's mother, and my daughter. And each one of the four women had, had to go to the bathroom every eight minutes. They did, absolutely <laughs> did. We stopped at every restroom in America. But um, each one started out the trip with a different number of American states under her respective belt. Interesting. Right? My mother had been to 49 states. <gasps> the only one remaining... Hopefully on the trip. Unfortunately, no. It's, oh. it's Maine. She never got to Maine. You didn't go to Columbus, Ohio via Maine? We didn't. Good for lighthouses. But my sister and uh, my daughter's mother and my daughter each had a, had certain states that they needed to collect in order to, you know, for that ultimate goal of 50. And each one of the three got some, you know, some new, probably five new states each. Yeah. And then, of course, my daughter had had more because she hadn't been through any of that. Turf. Did you ever change the route at any point to get a state that you otherwise would not have begged? In fact, yes. Um, as we were driving through the panhandle of Oklahoma, I realized that one of, uh, one of my party had never been to Kansas and one of my party had never been to Texas. And there's a spot 
in the panhandle of Oklahoma. Where Kansas touches Texas. It doesn't, but you can you can zig up to liberal Kansas and then zag down into conservative Texas. That's right, the panhandle of Texas and then zig again into New Mexico, which was the ultimate, you know, the ultimate goal. Yeah. And you know there are all kinds of rules that you apply to how long you have to be in a state to to you know to have to claim it. Most country counters have to leave the airport. They they won't allow a, a transit line. And I would never allow an airport. Um, but we went to Liberal. We had we had dinner or we had a late lunch at a cafe in Liberal. Then we turned across the Panhandle of Oklahoma again down to Texas where we stopped at a truck stop and got a bag of Fritos and I had another coffee. So you have to get out of the car and feel like... Yeah, uh, I feel like you have to breathe the air. That's the Texas thing, really. A cup of coffee at a truck stop. You yeah. got the full experience. No rodeo could convey. No yeah. South by Southwest could do a better job than that. And and then we went to the Four Corners to try and stand athwart Ooh. four states. But, you know, the Four Corners actual... Uh, hub is controlled by one of the tribes and they close at 6 p.m. So we got there at seven and it was closed. Zero corners. But it turned out we, on, on my, my uh, intended path, we actually covered all four of those states. So we, the tribe can't stop you from just driving in a circle around four corners. And that's what, that's the same number of states. That's what we did. There were a lot. So anyway, that felt like a good, a good mission in the sense of, you know, my daughter at, at the age of 10 and a half has, has, uh, has 31 states under her belt. Wow. So, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get uh, all 50 states until I was in my forties. I think my, I might have a kid. My kids might still be in single digits. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, it's, um, it's just another one of the many dumb things that we, we do to order <laughs> just our lives. To save off the specter of, of aging and death, <laughs> yeah, that's I, right. I would assume. Wait, I can't die. I haven't been to all the provinces yet. Forget mortality. I've got Starbuckses to visit. There are 13 uh, provinces and territories in Canada, and I've been, to, uh, I've been to nine of them. So I've still got some of those Atlantic provinces. That's like, they added none of it just to, just to taunt you. That's like adding Starbucks. None of it did screw me over because I had been to Northwest Territories, but now. Had you been to both sides of Northwest Territories? Because I think you can count that. No, unfortunately I hadn't. You had not been in pre-Nunavut. No, I hadn't. And you know, Kathleen Edwards once uh, offered me a slot, you know, she said, why don't the two of us go and travel, like do a tour of the maritime provinces and we'll play all those little places uh, in that area. You know, and she's a big star she's in Canada. Sure. So, is she, she's not from the Atlantic provinces, is no, she? No, no, no. Oh. She's from you know, Ottawa. But uh, but I was like, that's amazing. But I I was I played, I played had another show, and it was in Europe, and it was like I would have to get it to the airport and fly to somewhere to meet a float plane that was going <laughs> to take me up to meet her. And it was a problem of six hours, and I couldn't do it. And she ended up doing the tour. And I, Are I you missing some it. of those? You're missing PEI or I, whatever? I am, yeah. And But also just I'm devastated that I didn't do that tour. It would have been really fun. And my life would be different today. I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be probably the king of Canada. You'd be married to Kathleen Edwards, I and would. you guys would be the governor generals of Canada. That's right. And I, I blew it, and now look at me. Now you have to hang out with Sloan or something if you want to if you want to. Check those off. Yeah, I've hung out with Sloan, and that didn't get me any of those provinces because it was in Toronto, and that doesn't. Who cares? Show up at their houses. Everybody's been to Toronto. Hey guys, what's up? I don't think they live in the provinces anymore. I think they all probably live in Vancouver, like all creative Canadians that are really? in Toronto. Yeah, they don't. They don't live in Nova Scotia. You know, to, like Vancouver is is both the Los Angeles and San Francisco of Canada. Also, it's the Seattle of Canada. It is. They've they've been very smart. They've collapsed all those into one city. It has to it has to do triple duty. It's probably actually the San Diego of Canada. It's the Honolulu and the Beijing of Canada <laughs> it too. Is. The Anchorage of Canada. It all is in. No, actually, it does it all. Actually, I think uh, Whitehorse is probably the Anchorage of Canada. What's Victoria? Nothing. Uh, Victoria seems like it's British. It's like the it the, the Bath of Canada or something. The Salisbury of Canada. It does it, but but it's probably the Port Townsend of Canada. Actually, the <laughs> Anchorage of Canada is Edmonton. Because Edmonton feels like Anchorage, except a lot bigger and with kind of a lot well, less going on. Well, no, no scenery. Right? Well, and there's nothing happening in Edmonton except except fracking, but we, it's huge. We haven't um, angered Edmonton yet, I think, on this show. Is that right? In all the episodes, we've never insulted Edmonton? No. We're usually just too busy going all in on Winnipeg. I kind of like Edmonton, frankly, but it's no, it's no good. I've never been. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I like how you're being... 
You come off very well here. Look, I'm in favor. I'm of extremely it. charitable towards the awful, awful city of Edmonton. <laughs> but objectively, yeah, there's oh no. Boy. You can't say a good thing about it. Another thing, it's very hard to say a good thing about. What a segue! What is, a pro we have here is the uh, is the enormous shoals, the 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 just underwater shoals off of the Outer Banks near Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. It's hard to say a good thing about it because it has wrecked so many ships over the decades. What if it wrecked bad ships? There, what, it wrecked what if, a lot of bad what ships. What if it wrecked empty state slave ships? The thing is, the shoals. I'm not here to say that the that the shoals have not have not been the the source of a lot of trouble for bad ships, but also for good ships. Enough ships that statistically, probably more good ships sank there sure. than bad ships. And even if a sea captain is very very evil, uh, that doesn't mean we want him necessarily dead on a rocky shoal. That's exactly right. Maybe he could live and move to Edmonton and 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 uh, atone for his sins. Think about that. Even a terrible ship has one good crew member, surely. And you don't want him or her torn right. to pieces. Nope. Over 600 ships have uh, crashed into the Outer Banks. Aren't the Outer Banks like sandy? I guess I guess yeah. there's rocks out there. So the Outer Banks are this kind of fascinating. If you look at a map of the United States, the Outer Banks there and particularly there, and, and I should say for listeners around the world, what the Outer Banks are is a series of sandy shoals that are off the coast, off, off the eastern seaboard of the United States. They're certainly underwater for our future listeners. Uh, now they are, yeah. Now they're, they're 600 feet underwater because all of the ice has melted. Uh, and also the coastline of the east, eastern uh, seaboard is, what, two miles inland from where it is now? Right. It's, it's lapping at the shores of the, of the uh, Appalachian Mountains. But at the time of, uh, of this show and over the course of the, the – the, uh, well, the history of the United States as we know it, um, the the shoals kind of protect the eastern seaboard. There, there's an inland sound uh, between between what would be these these outer banks and uh, and the the coastline proper. And, and, it ma- and it makes for a nice like my wife used to go to the outer banks as a kid, right? Like the the protection of those shoals and whatever those barrier islands are makes for a, a nice. Beach, yeah, inland, I it's guess. a sandy place, and um, you know, we were talking about it before the show. Neither of us have been to the Outer Banks, which is a kind of a tragedy. I mean, all fifty states, but never the Outer Banks. So, Polio can I count was them? a tragedy. This is a very small. I this is a very minor thing. Like you and I could have been to the Outer Banks at any point in time. We could have made that. Extra We've made trip. a bunch of choices, but you were like, "Oh, there's a float plane, and I've got to get over there. That's a lot of work. And what's out there really?" But more sand, and I've been to Hawaii. I don't need to see any more sand. In the summer, there's probably East Coast kids, uh, mm-hmm. fr- frilly dress, bathing suits, frolicking with a puppy. I believe sure that's it's what's great. happening. Yeah, so there, there's, a, you know, a kid in a long dress is is rolling a hoop down Main Street. There's uh, pails and shovels galore. Yeah, Buxton, North Carolina, probably has some kind of amusement. But we've never made it there. But I'm. But I can speak with authority about it because this is the omnibus, and and we often are authorities on things we've not personally experienced. We're going to hear from a lot of Buxtonites with a, Buxtonians. Uh, well, the first thing they'll probably say is it's not pronounced Buxton. That's the first thing people yeah. always say. It's pronounced Buxton or whatever it is that they say. I got <clears> in trouble the other day for not saying for pronouncing the R in Melbourne, Australia, because people there say Melbourne, Melbourne. Melbourne. But that's because it's. They don't say the R anywhere. Australian English is not erotic dialect. Right. So that would be like... Buzzing. That would be like an Australian person who has to say, uh, oh, I'm going to New York. <laughs> we don't insist upon that. Do Le- they, do they pronounce alone. the second T in Toronto? Toronto. Toronto. You get a lot of trouble for that. Uh, if you don't pronounce it. If you do pronounce oh, if it. You if you do. say Toronto, you might as well be saying blah, blah, blah. But, but, but isn't the demonym Torontonian? Torononian. <laughs> <laughs> that cannot be right. <clears throat> I don't know. They may never say Torontonian. Torontonian. Toronto. Tor- my neighbor Toronto. Toronto. My neighbor yeah. Toronto. The uh the the particularly this this part of the Outer Banks. You know, there's actually a way that you can you can take a little boat and go down the entire east coast of the United States, around Florida, and all the way to Texas, the entire time protected more or less by shoals. Yeah. Um, so it's a, you know, you're kind of a, it's a calm inland 
passageway. They've got them an intercoastal waterway. Yeah, they do have them one of those. And I've always kind of been curious about taking that as a trip. You'd have to have a purpose, though. <gasps> lighthouses. You'd be visiting all There the can't be that many lighthouses on the intercoastal waterway. There are, oh, I there. think. Well, because it's such a dangerous place. And I should explain uh, uh, geographically that this, uh, this point in North Carolina, it's not the furthest eastern point of the United States, which, which is uh, an honor held by Maine. Quaddyhead, Maine. But it is uh, the spot between, between um, Boston or, or uh, Cape Cod and Florida where there's, you know, a, a kind of um, dewlap. What would you say? Like a little point. Yes. Not it's, a little point. It's the point. most protuberant thing between uh well, well Cape um, Cod and and Florida America's America's two wangs but but <laughs> but really interestingly if you watch the if you if you take a, a satellite view of the Gulf Stream which is this gyre uh a, it's weather gyre and storm gyre which enormous was one. we should say to the future I which guess. was that's right it doesn't ex- we're in the process of destroying it now <laughs> it's been flipped and now it goes from uh it goes from ireland down to it brings icy air to miami now yeah. and, and hot air to norway but at the at the present moment it, it's a counterclockwise spin that goes kind of from africa across the uh, across the atlantic to through the mediterranean then up around and it collides halfway up the United States with the the Labrador current, which comes down, you know, headed in a counterclockwise direction across the top of the United States and brings cold air down. And they collide right at... Right uh, at the pointy place. Right at the pointy place there. And you can see the gyre just comes swooping along and goes right out to sea at Cape Hatteras. And the, the Labrador current takes a slightly different route. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't come swooping down across Virginia, but the the cold water really starts right there. And the warm water, you know, Cape Hatteras is the furthest north place where tropical flora and fauna can survive in the United States. Oh yeah. The Carolinas always have, uh, you know, you know, monkeys, (laughs) (laughs) monkeys and alligators, (laughs) just monkeys and anacondas. (laughs) Just hanging around the Duke campus. No, but they do have like Venus flytraps yeah. and sundews and like carnivorous plants like that that you would not expect that far north. And it's a wonderful environment there for all uh, for all I can uh, determine because looking at the weather patterns, it never gets above 90 degrees and it never gets below 75 degrees. It's basically Honolulu except without the million people driving around in, uh, in kind of cars that don't have mufflers. That's what that's what they should say. One of the defining features of Honolulu these days. The North Carolina (laughs) license plate used to say first in flight, but now it says Honolulu, except without the millions of drivers driving around in cars without mufflers, because it just trips off the tongue. Um, But because of this collision of the two, um, the two, you know, global weather systems, it's also the place in the United States where the the uh, hurricanes are most likely to collide with land. Um, I wondered if you were going there. Yeah. But with hurricanes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're famous for it. They yeah. named sports teams after their hurricanes in the Carolinas. Like, they're so happy about about these awful, murderous weather systems. And you can see how it would happen if you watched hurricanes form in, in the Gulf. Um, they spin around, and, you know, we're always concerned about whether or not they're going to hit Florida. But what whatever they do, even the ones that come in in the Gulf of Mexico— they often will go in at Louisiana, but they keep doing their thing and usually come out around North Carolina. But can we agree that it's weird to name sports teams after natural disasters? Well, the... Um, Carolina and Miami Hurricanes. And I mean, R- Richland, Washington, their high school mascot is the Atom Bombs. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not a natural disaster, but it's a weird high school mascot. I think there's a, I think there's a um, California soccer team called the Earthquakes. Really, like how many thousands of people have to die before you... I mean, Miami Heat is not going to age well after we start losing thousands of seniors every summer to global (laughs) warming. 15 degree temperatures with 100% humidity. Yes. The Seattle heat domes. You know, my my band of the 1990s was called the Western State Hurricanes. I didn't even think about that. You're you're part of the problem. Well, no, it was a little bit of a joke. We don't have hurricanes here. We have monsoons and we don't even call them monsoons. We, or Mm. no, what are they? They're uh, cyclones. We have cyclones in the Pacific Ocean. 
But by the time they get to Washington, they're always just yeah. like gnarly windstorms. We never get anything typhoon-like up here. And so calling it the Western State Hurricanes was meant to be a little bit of a gag, also because the mental hospital here in Washington State is called Western State Hospital. Mm. It was a, it, there were a lot of references uh, encoded in our band name. Nobody got them because nobody pays that much attention to things. Well, they will now. But they will now. The band... Uh, you know, you should buy our release. It's, it's uh, back on vinyl, right? That's right. That's right. Western State Hurricanes, Through With Love, 2020. Uh, so, it was determined many, many, many years ago. In fact, um, in the era of, uh, you know, just immediately after the American Revolution, that there was enough ship traffic up and down the eastern seaboard that a lighthouse was necessary around Cape Hatteras. And in, in fact, no less a person... Then Alexander Hamilton, what? Whose ship? The famous rapper. That's right. Whose ship bringing him to the America or to the United States was almost dashed upon the shoals. That's true. It's in the it's in the play. They're like, and a hurricane came, and there's kind of a go ahead, a it. goofy light effect. No, do the whole rap. I don't know the. And a hurricane came, and the. My son does like an impression of Lin-Manuel Miranda, like doing bad historical rapping that I really like, but he never thinks enough through to actually get a rhyme. Like it turns out my son is terrible at freestyling, even when he's trying to roast Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know, he was here earlier today. We could have- Lin-Manuel Miranda? No, Lin-Manuel Miranda hasn't been here in a week and a half, but your son was here and we could have had him downstairs to do his his bad rhymes. It's true. He did not want to stick around to show off his uh, impression. No, such a teen. Yes- yeah, so he, does this mean he is one of the most hurricane-conscious founding fathers? I think so. Because he was in, in the well, middle of one? Yeah, well, because he grew up oh, the in- The middle uh, would be good. He was on the edge of one. On the edge of one. He grew up in the Caribbean, and so he had firsthand experience where probably George Washington had less experience. Certainly, uh, John Adams had less experience with uh, hurricanes. Boston gets fewer hurricanes than Nevis. And so he, uh, Alexander Hamilton, in uh, July of 1794, which um, a lot of people will will think of first the, uh, you know, the the end of the French Revolution. You've got the the reign of terror is ending right about there. Who was people's sexiest man alive that year? It was Robespierre. But, uh, But Alexander Hamilton petitions the U.S. Congress to build a lighthouse at Cape Hatteras. And of course, I'm sorry, Hatteras. You are kind of putting the ass back in. Hatteras. Hatteras. Uh, it takes the Congress a, a little bit of time, as as so often happens. But I, by, I like in the old days how it was the Congress. The Congress. We, don't, we don't say that anymore. No, we don't say Today the, we just the were Ukraine. like those clowns in Congress, but back then they would say those harlequins in the Congress. In the Congress. Yeah, that's good. In 1802, they did... Um, they did fund the the creation or the the construction of a lighthouse um it was 112 feet above the sea and it was you know it was it seems tall for 1802 or whatever you said well it was except uh looking at the list of top lighthouses here you'll see that um that let's see in 1611 the uh the Cordouan lighthouse was 223 feet oh wow in uh What's the next oldest, tallest lighthouse we've got? Oh, in Poland in 1857. No, that's that's uh, that's after this, after the Cape Hatteras, the original Cape Hatteras, Hatteras lighthouse. Let's see, what are some of those ancient ones? How tall are they? Well, none of the ancient ones make the list of the top 30 lighthouses. Uh, but it was a tall lighthouse. But unfortunately, and and during clear weather. The beacon was visible 18 miles out, mm. but during inclement weather, that's right. Inclement weather, uh, it was not visible, uh, partially because it was lit by whale oil, bad lens and, tech, and bad lens tech. Right. So ships continued to wash up on the shore. Graveyard of the Atlantic. The graveyard. One of the graveyards of the Atlantic. Are there multiple graveyards of the Atlantic? Or yeah, Cape Cod likes to claim to be the graveyard of the the Atlantic. There are few, ever, I all these places bragging about a few graveyards of the Atlantic. I'm so tired of these capes with their um with their morbid brags. I mean, what what do you do? Do you put the number of ships up against one another, or do like the lives? The, the lives, or is it like the prominence of the disaster? 
I would just like brag about my saltwater taffy stores. I would leave it out. I would leave all the deaths out of it. No. If I was a, no, if I was a tourism council. Come on. The deaths are a big selling point. What is a cape for if not to ram ships into? We go over and over to places where deaths are what well, either occurred or were memorialized. And saltwater taffy, I mean, who who would do a, do a tour of the United States from saltwater, from famous saltwater taffy place to famous saltwater taffy place? That's true. It's kind of a thin premise for a vacation. Um, so the the uh, the lighthouse, you know, it did uh, it did somewhat of its of its intended job, but um, in eighteen thirty seven, it was determined that there needed to be a second lighthouse, the a uh, little bit further south, and uh, over time. The Bodie Island Lighthouse was constructed, um, but it was it was put on uh, on a shaky foundation. And it's it sort of oh literally yeah it sort of fell down over time, and well, they built a second if one. There's one and, thing you want in a lighthouse: it's for it not to fall down. It's inconvenient for the ships, but it's a bummer for the keeper. Well, yeah, and the Bodie Island Lighthouse was even further out than the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. It was sort of a general bummer. It had it had a lot of problems over time. Lighthouses are hard to supply, right? Because they're you know, they're often approachable. Like we say. Only by dinghy and good seas or maybe they're. Yeah, they're on the fringe by, 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 by design. Um, in, and this is, you know, the, 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 the original lighthouse was the appropriations for it came right at the same time as the appropriations for the very beginning of the U.S. Navy, right? We had only, mm. we had only just devised a navy this was this was part of the the sort of uh, post-revolutionary war american sense of itself like we're going to have an infrastructure it was it was an initial infrastructure that was the first infrastructure week yeah this but you're, was but you're saying it's also kind of military i guess i hadn't thought about that but yeah. this this would be necessary for for um for naval purposes too right it, it you know how do you how do you maintain your all the commerce, all of the all of the sovereignty over your new thirteen colonies, if you cannot navigate your own shoals, and it and it became a military, um, it became a military issue again during the Civil War because this area of North Carolina was it was the the site of the first naval battle of the Civil War, oh, really? the naval battles of the Civil War. And control over this, um, over this point was, uh, I mean, in 1861, the U.S. the the Union Navy was already kind of bombarding the Confederates there. They were, um, they you know had had lesser artillery and so weren't able to defend themselves against the Union. Just prior to the Civil War. The Cape Hatteras lighthouse was improved. It was raised, and this is something that you see in lighthouses a lot. They raise the lighthouse. They build extra stories Wait. on it over time. How is that possible? Well, do they lift up the top that's currently there? They lift it up. They lift up the top, which seems like a. So they keep. The, it's not that they build. It's not like they keep building up from the old top. They somehow build new. Stories of the new height of the lighthouse between the base and the lamp, and in trying to in trying to figure out like how do you because lighthouses are um, they're they're symmetrical right they're beautiful they they are usually some some version of a conical sort of um, they, they they have a consistent proportion yeah. how would you go about sure. And they're getting they're getting narrower as they go. Often is what you're saying. They're not yeah. they're not a cylinder, right? They get narrower at the top. And so, what are you gonna? How are you gonna add a hundred feet to a lighthouse? You're, you would. I mean, you this would, is a live question for you. If you're adding an eighth side to yours, uh, well, that's right. I don't want to do that. Oh, you've changed your mind. No, I don't want to do that at all. Oh. Um, but the so the old lighthouse just prior to the Civil War uh, was uh, the the. The first site or one of the first sites, we, we talked about the first Fresnel lens um, in the United States, and it was not Cape Hatteras, but one of the first Fresnel lenses to arrive in the United States was 
destined for the Cape Hatteras lighthouse. When is this? This is post Civil War. This rebuild. No, or? this is pre oh, okay. pre Civil War. So in the eighteen fifties, mm. and it was you know it was such a uh, technological evolution that the that the that the lens, the Fresno lens, was actually sort of tour. It was taken oh. on a tour of the United States. Like, look at this incredible thing before it was installed in the original lighthouse. I would do that. I'd go down to the train depot to see a lens come through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so would I, especially... Of a, su- of a Saturday? Especially, I mean, the, think about the sort of the crystalline refractoriness of it. It would be a beautiful thing. You would never see... Like, back then, it would be like if you and I were to see some five-dimensional solid. Like, it would right. be like the best special effect anybody there ever saw. It would be like seeing a seven-sided lighthouse made of dreams. <laughs> exactly. But the Fresno lens was enough of a... Of a um, not just a thing of beauty, but a but a valuable instrument that as the Confederates uh, realized they were going to lose control of Cape Hatteras, they went up into the lighthouse and dismantled the Fresno lens and took it with them. Yeah. Boxed it up. And they, um, and the, you know, they kind of left the lighthouse bereft of its um, utility in the hopes that because there wasn't an effective Confederate Navy at that point. Mm. The only... The only bad ships you'll be crashing. Exactly. The only ships to crash would be the Union warships that were that were pummeling their shore. What happened to the lens? Did they ever get it back after the war? Well, interestingly, the lens appeared to disappear. Um, it was boxed up, crate, you know, crated up and, and hidden in some plantation uh, barn mm-hmm. or slave quarter. Uh, and... The record went silent on the lens, and it, um, you know, it 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 appeared that it had that it was a casualty of war, and we'll uh, and I'll explain what actually happened to it in a little bit. I'm interested. But, I want to know more. In uh, in the 1860s, it was determined that the that the old lighthouse was no longer um, sufficient. It was no longer adequate, and so. Uh, an appropriation was made for the construction of a new lighthouse. And um, it began in 1868. And by 1871, it was reputed to be the tallest in the world. Now, this is one of the one of the problems that I've had in investigating lighthouse claims, because just like a lot of capes claim to be the graveyard of the Atlantic, even more lighthouses around the world claim to be the tallest lighthouse in the world. This is not unique to lighthouses. Like I, I find that anytime you see a local claim like that, if you have, if you widen the scope, you will find six other localities making the same. I was trying to find out something interesting about Albany, New York, the other day, which, believe me, is a thankless task. You know, the the the, the state capitol campus is interesting example of brutalist architecture. Someday to appear on Omnibus. Oh, also there's a uh, there's a the Sesame Street Museum is there in Albany. Wait, really? Yeah, they have the whole set of Sesame Street. Like, why the, would that be in Albany? Mr. Hooper's store and they shot it Oscar in Queens. The, Oscar the Grouch's can. I don't know why it's in Albany. That's that's where they had the space for it. I found Albany making two claims: one that it was um, the site of America, you know, is the terminus of America's first railway, and then another that was mm-hmm. aviation related. And the first one turned out to be like totally false. Like it was the site of the first terminus of the first passenger railway, like in New York State. But to this day, like <laughs> Albany is still claiming it's older than like BO on its website, which is not true. Really? Yes. And I'm and I'm gonna speak truth to power and say, Albany, just quit it. Just quit it. Wikipedia doesn't agree with you on this. You are not the site of the first passenger railway in the United States. Well, and this is, you know, this is the problem with the internet, right? How do we even know anything anymore, Ken. We don't have almanacs in our footlockers. I can't. I can go to lighthouses and measure them, but I can't travel back in time to see if Albany had a passenger railway before Providence. I mean, the lighthouse of Genoa in Italy uh, is not only the tallest in the Mediterranean, but but made entirely a, of ZD. It's quite a bit taller than the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. And it appears to have been in use at the time? It dates to 1543. But maybe not at that height. Well, now that's the thing. So you you Like you I, looked, see... I looked at that French one, and you're right. That one has been its current height since like 1782. Yeah. So that's, you know, that clearly was never, I mean, Hatteras could never have been taller than it, right? Uh. Well, and I don't see how it could have been taller than the lighthouse of Genoa. It is it is the world's third oldest lighthouse. 
Oh, you're right. The current, and, the current tower has been lit since 1543. Yeah. Well, Come I'm, on. I'm not saying that they, it's not on, on during, like it hasn't been lit continuously. Cape Hatteras no longer claims to be the tallest lighthouse in uh, in the world, although it is still the tallest in America, but it is it now is relegated to the 18th tallest lighthouse in the world, which isn't something you're going to put at the top of your brochure. That That comes down somewhat lower. But it is the tallest in the U.S., taller than anything in Oregon or Maine. That's interesting. It is, um, it now is 200 feet tall, over 200 feet tall. And, um, and I think really fascinatingly, and this will play into the story later, um, when it was built, as they started to kind of try to build a lighthouse this big, they realized that this was before we had the, and by we, I mean us, humanity, had, uh, pile drivers or the the capacity to to build a foundation for something this big in a sandy shoal. Yeah, there weren't really skyscrapers in Manhattan Bedrock that were that tall yet, let alone on a beach. Right. I mean, it's this is a 12-story tall building and so in in trying to build a foundation for it on the on the beach, as soon as they dug a hole not even anywhere close to down to rock but just down to hard sand, it started to fill with seawater. Look, it was, I've dug a hole on a beach. Yeah. It, it, fills, it, with, it fills with seawater like in one second. Right. It's so hard to build a lighthouse in that second. And that's right. And it wouldn't be a stable lighthouse. <laughs> and so the engineer who was charged with this responsibility, Dexter Stenton, Stetson, um, he devised a foundation for the lighthouse that was actually, he put a bunch of pine logs yellow pine uh, beams that were six by 12 beams. I mean, this was back when you could find a tree big enough to, to, you know, find us six foot by 12 foot, um, you know, clear, uh, whatever, you know, enormous logs that he built. He constructed a, um, a matrix of them in a pond of fresh water so that the, the, the logs were, Underwater, but in freshwater, which preserved them. And then on the top of the logs, put a layer of stone. And then on top of that was able to build this 200 foot tall. So the logs are basically like floating. They're like a pontoon for this lighthouse. Well, it couldn't float because it couldn't, you know, the lighthouse would be pretty tippy, but, but they, you know, they were protected from between the water and the lighthouse. That's right. They're protected from the sea and in, in such a, in such a way that the lighthouse, you know, wouldn't subside into the sand and wouldn't, um, you know, and wouldn't be susceptible to uh, the the erosion. And this this uh, this ends up this ends up helping the lighthouse in recent times, having been built this way. Um, so the thing about the outer banks or these shoals is that they're constantly changing due to, you know, constantly changing due to erosion, but it's, um, what happens is the, the banks themselves are, and have been over centuries moving inland because the outer edge of them gets eroded away, but the sand is deposited on the, the inner side here around Cap, Cape Hatteras, the, the, the area of sort of the sound in between the outer banks and the actual coast of the United States is called the Pemlico sound. And I'm sure that there's some pronunciation of that. That's very regional. Pimlico. Pimlico, Pimlico sound. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say Pamlico because why not? I'm, I'm just not even going to look it up and then people will tell us. Yeah. Pamlico. Make someone else do the work for a change. But what happens is the sand gets, you know, gets moved from the outside yeah. to the inside. And so the when. The island effectively is on the march. It's on the march. And I don't know what happens when it. When it reaches the coastline, if it keeps marching, if it keeps, yeah. if it heads to Durham, you just get an island of North Carolina wandering across the Piedmont, <laughs> lost in, lost in time and space. But when it, when the original uh, lighthouse was built, it was, um, you know, it was, what was it, a thousand feet inland from the coast, and over, uh, over the course of half a century. The coast was eroded, and until by the end of World War One, the lighthouse was only 120 feet from oh wow the sea. 
it's good if you want beachfront property, but but bad for a lighthouse because bad for the future of that lighthouse. You know, this little freshwater pond that was supporting it. You know, if if seawater got in, then the pine logs would would be you know would decay hmm. and the lighthouse would fall and so at the in 1919 the coast guard abandoned the lighthouse went up on the on a neighboring hill and built a new kind of uh crappy metal beacon that it and they put one of those ugly but but functional does the job um and this is before you know lighthouses were still very necessary at this point in time. And they put like a rotating aircraft beacon on this, um, on this tower. And throughout then the, the early part of the 20th century, there was a beacon there and the lighthouse was kind of, it was transferred to the park service and it was just, uh, kind of left to rot. It's your like, I was just thinking about a 12 story building in a pre elevator age. That's, you know, that's, that's a little bit rough on the keeper. Every time he's got light related business, got to climb up 12 stories on a little rickety uh, spiral staircase. Well, these days, climbing the Cape Hatteras lighthouse is uh, like a thing that it's an exciting thing that you do as a tourist. Sure. Um, I mean, not my wife. She's terrified of spiral staircases. What? Really? Yeah. It's her greatest Just spiral staircases. Not spirals, not staircases, just spiral staircases. What about at the, uh, the water tower... In uh, Volunteer Park. She doesn't love it, but the thing about that one is it's on a bigger... It's a broad spiral staircase. Yeah, the, the circle being described is larger. She doesn't like... I think she grew up going around little tiny uh, European turrets oh. where it's like stone. Yeah. That's you know, And then you can see above you, the stone is not sitting on anything. You, right. You, every time you're on those stairs, you can look up and see the stairs you're about to be on and realize they're not sitting on anything. Plus, I guess her dad would always be... Um, knew, knew she was afraid of them and was, it was always... He was, poking and teasing him. He was up around throwing basketballs down, <laughs> so she was just like dodging. Just hilariously trying to knock her off the stairs. <laughs> dodging balls. Uh, isn't that But yes, I like, I like going up lighthouses. What if, you, what if you one day surprised her by buying a cool Manhattan loft that was two stories tall and had a spiral staircase between the two stairs, between the two stories? And you were like, honey, we're moving to New York and it's going to be great. We're going to eat in fancy restaurants every night. But to get to bed... We have to go up this very small sort of cast iron spiral staircase. I'm a real bluebird figure here. Yeah, well, bluebeard figure. What would ha- what would what would she say? What th- if you were up there throwing super balls down as she tried to come up to bed? Yeah, she would probably cut a deal, a no super ball deal. Mm-hmm. But I think she could do it if she had to. Um. Well, let me tell you more about the Cape Hatteras lighthouse. That's what I want. Uh, it was kind of left. Decrepit. The, the old one. Yeah, the old one. Until the until World War II came along, and then all of a sudden the Coast Guard was interested in it because they could see, or they they thought they could see some, you know, use it as a submarine lookout. And then after the war, uh, you know, they'd built several sort of um, structures in the off the off the coast to keep erosion from from washing the whole front of the Cape away. Uh-huh. And those re- remediating efforts had succeeded enough that all of a sudden the lighthouse wasn't in danger anymore. And they, um, they kind of moved back in and started using it again. And that lasted until, you know, it was sort of in and out of, in and out of style to use the Cape Hatteras lighthouse. And the, the lighthouse I, I should say is painted in a very distinctive spiral paint job. It's a black and white spiral. Um, That's unusual for a lighthouse. It is, and it was part- It's like a barber pole? Does it spin? It's a barber pole, but it doesn't spin. Mm -hmm. And it has has a black and white spiral. And this was part of a, a, again, an infrastructural system. All the lighthouses along the coast um, had not only- different spirals, but different flashing patterns to their lights. So at night, you can tell by the pattern. Or by the flash. By the fl- and by day, you can tell by the actual striping. You can look and, and, and have, a, have a, a sense of which lighthouse you're looking well, at. Well, presumably by day, you could also look over there and be like, oh, that's Cape Hatteras. 
Right, but it, but you know, shifting shoals, Ken. Shifting shoals. Shifting shoals, man. And uh, as a sailor, and I know you're a sailor. Yeah, call, uh, call me Doctor Shoals. Um, look, <laughs> looking, uh, looking at uh, at a lighthouse from out at sea. You know, it's often hard to tell, ha- hard to orient, especially sea captains. Not the sharpest, uh, not the sharpest knives in the hold. Oh dear, you're insulting the sea captains now. Well, they need to have different stripes apparently, or they don't know where on the coastline they are. It's usually I don't think. The captain, it's probably some sort of guy up in a in a crow's nest. In a crow's nest. Some, yeah. some dumb Kevin up there. Yeah, some young guy who's... Striped lighthouse ahoy! I think it might be Cape Hatteras. I'm not sure. Well, by the 1990s, the, uh, the water had, again, eroded Cape Hatteras. And to this point, um, or at this, at this point, eroded it so that there was no saving the lighthouse. Oh, 1990s. In the 1990s, the water came within 15 feet of the base of the lighthouse, and it was only a matter of the next hurricane. Um, and to be clear, this is not the one they use anymore, because now there's a metal beacon. Oh, no, they're still using it at this point, uh, oh, okay. because they'd reverted to it. Oh, okay. Uh, and it had been automated. I mean, there was no longer a lighthouse keeper up yeah. there spinning it around with his hand crank. But are there tourists climbing up there in the summer? Uh, there were, and the t- you know it was it was by this point a national treasure, um, and so the there were a lot of suggestions, and it was and it was a whole process. You know, one of these these uh, situations where the more people that you invite into the decision making process, the more insane it becomes. Save the clock tower. And they built a, you know, they built a retaining wall around it, um, such that, and they proposed a much larger one such that it would become an ultimately become an Island. You know, the water would erode the sand around it. And then the lighthouse would be sitting out there in the, in the middle of the sound, which would, would have been cool, but wouldn't have been a permanent solution because again, the, the, the water table yeah. um, would eventually kind of rot the, the basin. And it had been proposed to move the lighthouse uh, for a long time, but there, but it, that to, proposed to Kansas, to move it to Kansas Where it'll and be completely safe from the waves, fill it with saltwater taffy and make it a place <laughs> like the corn palace or wall drug, <laughs> a place you absolutely had to stop. Uh, to move it inland and to put it in a location again, further from the, it's only again, you're, you're you're just um, you're just kicking mo- the lighthouse down the road. <laughs> yeah, you're moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's all going to be underwater one day soon. But uh, but it was you know it was rejected for a long time because this is a 200 foot brick light- lighthouse built on a pine foundation. She's built like a 200 200 foot brick lighthouse. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't the technology for most of this time to move it. But by 1999. Uh, Lighthouse moving technology had improved. We to, all remember the advances in LMT at the that, time. That's right, and uh, and and so it was. Although very controversial, it was decided that they were going to move the Cape Hatteras lighthouse, and uh, like a a little partnership between um, two companies, International Chimney. Which you know is one of the bits, uh, big chimney we call T- them. Tall narrow things yeah. is their specialty, and um, and a company called Expert House Movers. Um, they just called Mayflower basically. Ex- ex- Expert House Movers. They rented a U-Haul to do this. Uh, the two of them uh, uh, collaborated on taking the lighthouse, which again was you know was on a wasn't right. connected to the rock. And they built a whole lighthouse moving operation. I guess a house, a lighthouse is a house. It's, it's in the house. name. It's right in the name. They move any kind of house. And they moved it, um, they moved it 2,900 feet inland. Wow. And along with the lighthouse moved like seven other structures, including the lighthouse keeper's house and the lighthouse keeper's outhouse and the lighthouse keeper's doghouse, all of the houses that were around the lighthouse. Can I ask, did they move the lighthouse intact? Yes. Or not in a series of slices or nope. segments? Uh, the lighthouse has 1,250,000 bricks. And somehow they managed to, and they moved it in by inches. You yeah. know, every day they were like, okay, let's take it in. Because otherwise inch. you just get tired. 
Well, yeah, and it was mules. They basically moved it with mules. No, it was, it, you know, uh, you know, expert house movers. They are experts have, at this. I cannot, literally cannot picture how this would go. International you, chimney. They've done this a thousand times. Do you think they put it up on blocks or something? Yeah, they, they, they built a little structure under it and they moved it very slowly. Because if you move it fast, something might fall. And it didn't have to go up a big hill. Balloons they tried, when they reoriented it, they not only oriented the seven buildings around it in exactly their, you know, their relative positions, but they, you know, they, they moved it to a place where the lighthouse was the same height and the same orientation to, to the sea that it had been before. So the Cape Hatteras lighthouse now sits, um, you know, 2000 feet from where, where it was built. Half a mile away. Yeah. It's 200. It's still 210 feet tall, I guess. 18th tallest lighthouse in the world. It's nowhere near the ocean. So no one can see it. And if you want, no, that's not true because it's got, uh, it doesn't have its Fresnel lens. And here's where the Fresnel lens story oh, right. gets interesting. I, I, I t- you totally hit the ball and I forgot the Fresnel lens. For, um, um, the lens was, was, Thought to be missing until 2002 when a, a filmmaker by the name of Kevin Duffus, I'm not going to say his last name is Doofus, it's Duffus, um, decided that this was like, uh, this was going to be his mission. This was going to be his um, visiting of Waldrug. He was going to scour the National Archives to see if there was any, if he could trace the location of this missing Fresnel lens that had been dismantled by the Confederates. By the way, you're saying it like Fresnel, but we decided it was French before. We said Fresnel in the last episode. Oh, Fresnel lens. I can't remember. Fresnel. I know it doesn't have an S. Fresnel. Boy, I, you know, I should be able to keep my own episodes of Omnibus straight. At, I'm least, sure, at least the lighthouse-themed ones. I'm sure there were there were listeners, futurelings throughout this episode going, what is he doing? You're right. It's the Fresnel lens. I think. That's what we were, that's what we were saying. Thank you for correcting. So Kevin Doofus. <laughs> so so Kevin Doofus of the Fresno Lens. Doofus Kevin, we maybe, call him. Maybe uh, maybe what you, what we should do is ask our editor Mark Miles to go back and and put Sn- snip out the S. Put me saying Fresnel, 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 Fresnel in every instance. Just jump a fraction of a second so the S is gone. So you'll be like the Fresnel Lens. <laughs> Fresnel. Um. So Mr. Duffus, uh, in scouring the National Archives, um. You know, and, and and encountering several dead ends where, you know, parts of the lens were in a warehouse somewhere, parts of the lens were out in North Carolina in somebody's barn. He finally discovered in his research that actually the Fresnel lens had been returned to the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse in 1870 and nobody wrote it down. Wait, what? So it had been there the whole time. It was hiding in plain sight. It was hiding in plain sight. They assumed that the lens that was up there was some kind of later edition. Yeah. But in fact... It was the Fresnel lens. Do you think he's disappointed because he wants to do a documentary where he like digs it out of a barn or something? Well, that would have been... And it turns out the work had been done like a century earlier. That would have been fun. Um, uh, but I think he was also... I mean, that's pretty good turns out. And he had... Uh, he wrote a book about it. And the thing is, it, the, the, the lens did not survive to the present day when... When the lighthouse was originally decommissioned um, and, you know, and left to rot in the, in the early, you know, in between the wars, people got in there, they dismantled the lens, souvenir hunters and, and you know, vandals and scavengers. So, um, so the lens had been dismantled. The lens did actually get sent all, you know, was in various places. And, and as of the recording of this story the national park service is trying to reassemble the lens and, you know, has a, has a call out to people like if you have a part of the lighthouse lens in your, in your, uh, like oh, wow. junk drawer. So, so it literally got, cause it's made of these concentric things. Mm-hmm. And so different of those circles are in different places. They're lo- Some of them are lost. A lot of them are are lost, and and it's uh yeah. If you and so any futureling that's listening to this episode, go through all your Fresnel lens parts, 
and see if any of them could possibly be. And please return them to the National Park Service. Or send them to us at Omnibus, P.O. Box 557 And we will return them to the National Park Service. Yeah, we're good citizens. But you can even now visit the the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, and, um, and climbing it is part of the fun. Um, it's, like I say, it's 237 steps. That's 12 stories tall. And... Um, and I think maybe COVID has potentially closed the lighthouse, but it's a, you know, it's a go at your own pace climb. You, you, you can't be, you have to be 42 inches tall to do it. You can't wear high heels or take an umbrella. There seems like there's a lot of rules. Well, there lighthouse. are. I think you can't be. I want to go to a more chill lighthouse. Can't be heavier than 260 pounds. So I'm right at the edge. Wow. And uh, you can't throw any kind of basketball or Super Bowl down the stairs at people coming up behind you. And that concludes Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. Entry 182.PS4303, certificate number 6374, in the omnibus. Now, future links, presumably the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse was just the first example of buildings having to move inland. Soon all of America's buildings will be will be pressing toward the central parts of their respective states, right? Right. We're Everything gonna, in America will be just on... Uh, uh, the Statue of Liberty is going to be in... Move to Denver. Yonkers. Yeah. No, no, no. We're going to move everything to the front range of, oh, the, of the Rocky Mountains. And there, presumably, at 5,000 feet, it will be protected. It's going to be like the place in the only place in Waterworld where everyone can live. <laughs> that place will also have, like, Cristo Redentor and the Statue of Liberty and... Uh, Mount Rushmore somehow is going to move there. One of the very interesting things about the geography of the central, of the Plains states, is that the entire center of the United States is a giant slope. And uh, at the Mississippi, it's there at its lowest point, not not far above sea level. But by the time you get to uh, New Mexico, you've gone up. Five, six thousand feet. And you are feeling it on your bike. You really are. You're a mile high and the whole way it looked flat. You're driving along. It's just like, oh, there's nothing out here. It's just flat. But if you put a Super Bowl down. In Denver? And it it would (laughs) roll, roll, roll. By the time it got, it'd be at critical speed. It would be accumulating other stuff along the way like a snowball. It would be a giant Super Bowl by the time it just flattened uh, New Orleans. Do you feel like the ground of the Plain States is made out of Super Bowl material? It's made out of something that sticky Super Bowls could pick up. Yeah. Probably. Um, but much as uh, much as our building, you know, we were still building things stupidly on the coast in our time. Uh, we were also social media denizens uh, who were at Omnibus Project. You can look us up, add us to your list of uh, accounts that you like or follow or share or whatever that is please do i'm at ken jennings um you can find uh at john roderick on patreon um there's no at though well what are they gonna put you think they're gonna put the word at john roderick yeah maybe it's just john it's just patreon.com let me remind our our dumber future listeners not to put the letters (laughs) at before the username you know i i'd like dumb kevin to subscribe just (laughs) as much as anyone else kevin uh, filmmaker kevin doofus or or whatever the historian (laughs) guy I hope you're listening, Kevin. We uh, Speaking of Patreon, Omnibus has its own Patreon. The main thing that keeps the show uh, running is the uh, dedication and generosity of our listeners. Especially now that you lost out on that that, uh, <laughs> that hot Jeopardy gig. <laughs> yeah, before I would have just funneled all my salary into a money-losing podcast. And now that's not even an option. Yeah, I, thought, I, I was half expecting you were going to start supporting me with a little bit of a, you know, like... A little kickback? Yeah, a little kickback. A little bit of like... It's like going on tour and, and paying for the tour bus, even though the band isn't making that much money. It's probably better for the show that I didn't get the Jeopardy gig. Not, yeah. not because I don't have any free time, but just because uh, uh, yeah, now t- this is not the like... It th- keeps our relationship honest. Well, it's not, it's not, this is now not 100th less lucrative than my other job, so... <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, so if you, if you listen to the show... Listen, which, which presumably you do. You've, you're at least listening to this sentence for some reason. If you enjoy the show, but for some reason you thought, the Patreon is for others to subsidize my hobby, uh, now might be the time to check out patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Uh, among the remarkable perks available to our more generous donors is the ability to uh, suggest topics for episodes. And we have two uh, Lighthouse-loving listeners, and that's why there have been two 
lighthouse-centric episodes. Aaron, Aaron suggested uh, the Cape Hatteras lighthouse. I have uh, I've taken responsibility for both of the lighthouse episodes. The third one we do, it's on you, my friend. <laughs> well, Aaron also suggested a modernist cuisine as a topic for a show, which is actually a pretty good idea and very Seattle-centric. It is. We have a, lots of places that that uh, serve nothing but pickled corn and pickled grass. <laughs> well, Nathan Mervold, the uh, the kind of modern pioneer of molecular gastronomy is a uh Pickler. what a east side guy he's yeah. from he's from mercer island or something i think yeah. i think i've mentioned kurt timmermeister on the show before i've met kurt and his yeah. delicious cheeses his delicious ice cream but also his uh, his wonderful home-cooked meals but he doesn't make like foams and jellies out of uh out of out of uh you know meats and vegetables and and serve them in floating balloons like. no he he was one of the he was one of the early farm to table yes. people who would uh, have big dinners and the only thing that he didn't m- grow in on his Vashon Island farm uh he didn't provide the salt the sugar or the wine or the coffee those four things i feel like he could have done salt i mean sugar and coffee sure uh, nothing that tropic about um, where does he live? Vashon? Vashon. Nothing that tropic about Vashon. But you know, surely he could go out and stop uh, calling me Shirley. <laughs> surely he could go out and find um, salt somewhere. Right, dig a hole, fill it with water, wait for the salt. Go to the sand, go to the beach, dig a hole, wait for the salt. Yeah, come or on, just, Kurt. Just uh, you know, I, you recycle cow waste. There's salt in it. Has to be. So thank you, Aaron, for suggesting the show. And I think also Molecular Gastronomy is actually a pretty good show idea. We kind of backed into this one because we had a mix-up on show topics today. <laughs> but I think uh, you might be getting two for one, Aaron. Um, you can uh, email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can send us physical items. Where's that thing you were crinkling? Here it is. For example, this um, this arrived in the mail from... Oh, it, somebody bought us something on eBay. It's got, okay. It's, it's got the name of the eBay seller on it. Okay. John, who may or may not be the thanks eBay friend listener who sent us this. I don't have my here. I've got. Some I don't have the of, knife on my keys I've because I didn't bring my keys. Over here. Well, I've got this giant, uh, this giant slide rule Here's that a, was given to us by the. I don't think it has a knife. The it's daughter not a, it's of not John a, Bernier. It's not a Swiss Army slide rule. This would be a good show. Listen to two people try to open a different. Do you want to use my keys? Everything. Yeah, maybe keys. Here you go. One, two, three. Oh, good catch. Oh, you're. I Don't always let want, anybody say you're not an athlete. I always yeah. wonder who puts the American flag and the bald eagle on their keys. Like, who gets that key um, blank? And now I know. Who does it turn out to be? It's you. That's right. The American flag eagle key blank is my house key. Uh, so if you ever steal John's keys, that's how you get into his place. Oh, it's it a looks book. like a bag inside a bag. It looks like a book or maybe one of those fake books that you put alcohol in. There's a bag inside a bag inside a well, bag. Well, it's an eBay seller, so he's thorough. I bought some bathroom fixtures from an eBay seller that just put all these porcelain things in a box, and they all broke. All right, thank you. I believe I know what this is. <clears throat> I thought when you threw those to me that you were throwing me what was in the bag, and I was like, those look exactly like my keys. It is a Harvard Classics edition. With that delightful old book smell. Surely you have a collection of Harvard from classics. From 1980. I actually don't. I used to. But this is, yeah, you did. Do you not have those anymore? I bet I do. They're, they're in a box. This is Richard Henry Dana's Two Years Before the Mast, kind of a oh. seafaring adventure classic. You know, I, I at one point I said, I'm going to read all the Harvard classics. I didn't get that You far. haven't been to all the Starbucks. No. And you haven't read all the... I wonder, I don't know if John, the eBay seller, is the one who sent us this. Who ordered us? I'm going to have to check our email. Thank you, Anonymous. This is a leather-bound edition, which is nice. Thank you, Anonymous uh, listener, who wanted us to read two years before the mass. 1980. We would probably know more about the maritime topics of the Lighthouse shows if we had read it. Uh, but <laughs> At least didn't. how to pronounce the Fresnel lens, <laughs> uh, something that I, not that long ago, did an episode. If you would like to send us... Uh, if you would like to buy us uh, weird things on eBay, please do. P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Uh, and look for the Futurelings wherever Futurelings are sold online. It's uh, it's fun to have friends who listen to the same podcast as you because then you don't have to pretend you're our friends. You can be real friends with, uh, with the users of these sites. It's fun to have friends. That's the omnibus motto. <laughs> it's fun to have fun, but you have to know how. We should, we should have that uh, as our next T-shirt. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. 
We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final work. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.